Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined as always by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And joining us to wrap up our journey through Glenn Cook's Black Company series, ending now with the second half of Soldiers Live, is our own sound engineer, Mr. Pat McCaffrey. What's up, Pat? Hey, what up, everybody? And... Returning special guest, our own guardian of the glittering plane, Mr. Jared Livingston's with us. What's up, Jared? Yes. yes. <laughs> what is up? <laughs> 13 episodes, counting this one. That's what we have spent on this series for the Inking Out Loud podcast. And I am very excited to talk about our ending and to get us there to this ending. My man, my brother in arms, Drew. Let's get that <laughs> recap, shall we? All right, so we had quite a lot go down in the last half of this book, as is only appropriate for the end of the series. We left off previously at the end of Chapter 62, when the company had just taken Dejagore through some trickery and uh, night raid. Soulcatcher, meanwhile, is with one of the three major Taglian armies in a sort of middle ground area between Dejagore and Taglios itself, while the Dejagoran army is dispersed and Mogaba holds the fort back in Taglios itself. Sleepy makes her move, heading north to engage Soulcatcher's army. It's a massive brawl, one which the company does win, but not without cost. Soulcatcher is put into the same magical coma goblin, or now known as the Kadidas, used to kill Sedvad. The Daughter of Night disguises herself as Soulcatcher, and she and the Kadidas flee north. During the action, many company members are injured, including Tobo, and both Taidei and Uncle Doge are killed in action. The Kadidas and Boo Boo hole up in the Grove of Doom. Sleepy marches the company further north, and a sort of siege is established around the Grove. Around this time, Gromoval makes his move, getting Magadan killed and Arcana raped. As a result, once again, Croker, Lady, Tobo, Mergen, the Howler, and the Vorashk all head back south to the Glittering Plain. Shavetya is going to heal the Howler, they're going to store Soulcatcher in the Ice Cavern to keep her from dying, and Croker is going to bribe the First Father and Nashan the Researcher to join the company by giving them back Gromoval. While they're gone, Mogaba seizes the initiative. He marches south and engages Sleepy with the help of Aradatha Singh and the city battalions from Taglios. Aradatha captures the Kadidas and Bubu, but both Mogaba's army and the company are pretty much shattered during the confusion of the fighting. Blade and Willow Swan are killed while helping Sleepy hold the company's line, and Sara is missing in action. Down at the fortress with no name, Croker convinces the Elder Vorash to help the company and brings up the idea of adopting Arcana and Shukrat. They store Gromoval and Catcher in the Ice Cavern, Shivetni heals Howler, and, totally ignorant of the disaster that just occurred with Sleepy and the company, they return north. They're joined by yet another White Crow. Lady tries to summon the Shade of Sara via necromancy, but Kina interferes, and Sleepy pushes the company to the city of Taglios itself. The usual suspects launch a night raid via air in an attempt to capture or kill Mogaba, but after Mogaba cleared the Palace of the Unknown Shadows, he set his own trap using Soulcatcher's leftover shadows. During the disaster, Mergen, the Howler, both Elder Vorashk, and almost all of the soldiers are killed. Lady is in a coma, and everyone else is injured. In response, Sleepy finally launches her attack on Taglios. The company attacks both from the waterfront and at the southern gate, using their air superiority and the magical abilities of Tobo, Shukrat, and Arcana. They gain a foothold at the gate, the company marches in, 
and Mogaba triggers his final trap, the trap he'd originally set for Soulcatcher. Right as Sleepy and most of the company's officers are moving through the Barbican, they're trapped and crushed under tons of stone and boiling oil. Chaos reigns in Taglios as Crooker tries to keep things in control. Arcana is sent to talk with Aradatha Singh, while Mogaba finally chooses Taglios over his own ego. He convinces Gopal Singh to join him in exile despite Soulcatcher's protestations, since she's the White Crow. Before they can escape, however, they're attacked by the Unknown Shadows. With Mogaba out of the picture, Aradatha surrenders Taglios to the company. Croker discovers that, with Mergen and Sara both gone, Tobo has cracked. He tortured Mogaba to death and is planning for more revenge. Meanwhile, after the disastrous collapse of part of the palace during the night raid, the Kadidas and Bubu were trapped. The company finds them, but not before the Kadidas gets off one final attack, killing the Prabhrindra Dra just as he made his triumphant return to Taglios. Croker uses One-Eye's spear and hat to suppress the Kadidas and bring Goblin back to the surface. Together, they hatch a plan to kill Kina. With the Vorash girls in tow, Croker and Goblin head back to the fortress with no name. Croker, with Goblin's help, kills Kina, and Goblin is sacrificed in the effort. While Croker was killing a goddess, Toba was busy trying to kill Aradatha Singh. But he was ambushed and imprisoned, grievously wounded with his skull fractured. Lady was also up to no good, as she broke under the pressure of her maternal longing and woke up Boo-Boo. It went horribly wrong, and Lady eventually tried to kill Boo-Boo. Upon his return, Croker convinces Aradatha to release Tobo and performs brain surgery to save him. He talks with Lady and they go to see Boo-Boo, who performs one final deception. She tries to kill Lady with a rumel, and Croker stabs Boo-Boo dozens of times. With Lady in critical condition, Croker and the Vorashk go back to their tried-and-true solution, the Ice Caverns. While Croker is putting Lady and Boo-Boo to rest, however, Arcana finally makes good on her plan to return to the Vorashk world. She doesn't have the return she wanted, and she is, in fact, captured by the remaining Vorashk, and it's up to Croker and Shukrat to save her. They do, and return to the fortress so Croker can fulfill his promise to Shvetya. The girls leave to meet up with the company, which is now marching back south to return to the Land of Unknown Shadows. When Shukrat and Arcana finally get back to the fortress, Croker has left them a note. He swapped places with Shvetya, allowing the golem to gain a mortal body and ultimately the death he seeks. Shukrat and Arcana are left to maintain the annals themselves. Croker, as the new immortal golem, returns Lady to health and grants her her powers once again. And in the end... Croker finally gains the ability to do what he set out for all those years earlier. Return to Cadovar. Oh, he, he gains oh. a lot more than that. <laughs> I have to say, I'm still impressed that you managed to keep that under uh, a gross amount of time because there was so much that happened. You're totally right. There was so much that happened. I do I not envy you having to... Uh, summarize that for us but it's half a yeah, book we have reached our ending <laughs> I mean, i'm ready to go into style does anybody have anything they would like to open up with death 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 more death 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 pointless yeah. death and then a side of death yeah so i i wanted to open and ask uh especially jared and pat or jared and rob excuse me mm. <gasps> how did you feel about all the deaths I felt like yeah. they were appropriate. I mean, yeah, I, I, was, okay I had been spending the past 
nine books, eight chronologically, preparing myself for it. I figured, honestly, <laughs> I was expecting more death, and I'll be getting into into that later Ooh. with what I thought was going to happen and how I thought this series was going to end. Jared? Who else I'm, could I, have I, died? <laughs> Who else could yeah. have died? Everyone. You were expecting that, that more was, death? That was oh. my prediction, was that the Black Company, I'll, I'll get into this, I'll elaborate later, but I thought the Black Company was going to be killed to the last man. I can see that as a, as a prediction. I wasn't expecting some like Hamlet style, um, but given the nature of the series being grimdark, yeah, I was expecting a lot of deaths. Um, how did you feel about so many of the deaths happening off screen? Uh, I'm okay with it. Again, I felt it was appropriate to have yeah. many of them happen off screen because yeah. of the dark, the grim dark nature of this series. There were a couple that I had particular issue with, just because of how important of a character they were, like Kisara. I, I I'm kind of really kind of really rustled. There there's a there's a term for it. Bit of an oxymoron. <laughs> I'm I'm rustled that we didn't get to actually find out what really happened with Sara. She just kind of vanished, and we just wrote her off as dead and then it was confirmed that she was dead later but we don't know how it happened was or it? why or where what was the confirmation i don't well she was appearing as one of the ghosts to tobo right she was but what was tobo dreaming that well i, I would or assume that she would have found her ghosts? way back eventually if she wasn't dead <laughs> eh, i yeah. mean i consider her dead so yeah same. um but yeah i'm i'm glad you guys weren't bothered by the the way so many of the deaths went down because i know one of the biggest criticisms i've seen people levy against this book is how many like how many major or at least secondary characters just you find out after the fact oh by the way they died i like, was ready to be pissed off about sleepy I'll say that I was ready to oh, be very yeah. pissed off about that because oh, the we, revelation we saw that what happened died, to Sleepy. The revelation and how that was handled was just Croker saying something along the lines of, "And yeah, what what happened to Sleepy? You know, uh, it, it wasn't what she deserved. You know, and I wouldn't wish her manner of death upon even my most hated. Like I wouldn't wish that manner of death upon my most hated characters of all time. But we didn't know what it was during the revelation. He just said, "Oh, she died. Suvren took over, and it was horrible and gruesome, and she didn't deserve what? that." And then I was like, "What? You're just gonna leave it there?" But then, of course, Cook did end up elaborating later so i was like okay all right i'll forgive you well, for yeah that, we but... we see the moment that the uh the trap is triggered and like the blocks of stone fall before and and behind her and they pour boiling oil in and <sighs> really <clears throat> yeah <laughs> did i miss that somehow you may have oh my god uh, well i'm uh, gonna shut pat, right up it then. sounds like pat has a uh something to say i, I have here, a yeah. problem with all these deaths hmm <laughs> Do we elaborate? I mean, okay. Really? Okay, I understand why he does it. Like, the whole point of this book is that in war, some people die unexpectedly. Your friends die when you're not there. Uh, you're left to, mm -hmm. to wonder why it was they who got killed and not yourself. Like, okay, I get that. But I read fantasy yep. to run away from real life. Damn it. <laughs> yes! I'm going to be getting into this more later. I so, so much agree with what Pat just yeah, said. Yeah, but you know like, what you're reading, right? Like, this is a mercenary group. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. I just thought it was gratuitous. Like, he could have made his point 
without just like scything through every main character <laughs> in the whole book. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like this is uh, a, a similar thing that he did in The White Rose. You know, when so many of the main characters just died. Mm. I know? did feel that it was a callback to that as well. And and we're, we're left with, like, a new incarnation of the company right. to, to carry the name and, and legacy forward. Another rebirth. Yeah. 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 Um, but but and, and I gotta... I gotta say, I love... I love the idea of what the future of the company could be with mm. Suverin and Tobo and Arcana and Shukrat running the show. And I hope, uh, so, uh, Jared and Rob, I think Pat already knew about this, but there is one more book that, uh, Glenn Cook has talked about wanting to write. That's a sequel, like an outrigger sort of thing. Really? Um, that would be about the future of the company in, you know, the land of, the Unknown Shadows and in, in, in Sian, uh, um, uh, called A Pitiless Rain. Oh, I've heard you reference that before. Okay, uh -huh. yeah, that's starting to come back to me now. Another I don't know if I'd book. be interested in that. <clears throat> oh, I'll read the crap out of it. Oh, I'll, I'll be interested in that simply because <laughs> of how much time I've invested into reading the series proper as it is. I'm not just going to leave that last one, that last release, if and when it does come out, and, and not finish it. Even if I don't like it, I'd still, just because of the amount of time I've put in, I'd have to read it, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, yeah, uh, well, the, deaths, the deaths tie into my only real problem with the series as a whole and that's the it's it's the ending like anyone can write a, a couple good books but it's the ending that really clinches it um, mm -hmm. this ending fails in the same way that the ending as uh, the ending of, of game of thrones uh that we have seen pat uh, thank you books i don't know if i don't know if uh if it's going to be exactly the same in the books but i imagine that it'll be along the same lines um, because ultimately, from the first book to the last book, nothing has changed. There's except there's a lot of dead people, but really, <laughs> but really, everything is the same as it was before. Yeah, wow, and I could not disagree more. I'm, on, I'm with Pat. <laughs> like the whole the whole nature of this series is is um is a cyclical thing. You know, it's like the wheel; it keeps on it keeps on spinning and. Uh, like in some into, ways into eternity the, you know the the like character driven aspects of it are but saying that nothing has changed when the black company has dramatically altered the culture and course of events across multiple worlds like that's not even close to the same as the end of game of thrones uh, I, I had also I mean, brought game of thrones to my points so i just hadn't said anything yet about it but yeah i'm i'm with pat on this it seems like a lot of it is left where oh. it's like oh yeah a lot has happened and a lot has been enjoyable but the world is going to keep spinning in the right. same direction that it was spinning right. before lots of exactly. death lots of darkness lots of like, oh, heartbreak like, i there. so disagree I, well i don't we're, we're i don't understand with, with the game of thrones of comparison at all i uh, no, we're <laughs> left with such a ray of hope for taglios that aradatha sing is is like the one genuinely good man involved in all of this now has the reins of power to like affect good change on on Taglios and the Taglian you know protectorate. We have um you know we have a, a transformed uh Vorash world in in the uh in the wake of the shadow invasion. We have the company moving on to Sien and and the 
the implication of their return there is going to completely upset sure. the, the order of things. Like, I feel like all three of these worlds are totally different than yeah. they were before. But I guess what change what what change would have qualified? Like, what what change would have made you happy to see that... something drastic with the magic? Even though it wasn't explained ever really quite how it works, we tiptoed around it for a lot of the series. Uh, but that's never I, been the point of this series. I didn't say it was the point. Yeah. Although I would guess, Rob, you probably became more interested and involved with the series, with the more lore-related things that we got. And so maybe you're feeling a bit disappointed in that realm. I agree, I, I definitely. But I will also say that we, we also left with a kind of a ray of hope at the end of The White Rose. And after that, it all went wrong. So why? what stops this from all going wrong eventually as well? Like, I just, I get the, the sense that this is just a recurring thing for everybody in this world. Struggle, darkness, death, depression, some ray of light, but then it's just going to all go wrong again in the future. Uh -huh. Right. But I mean, if you're looking for just like a pure happily ever after, that's just not fantasy. Well, <laughs> well no, that's not well, grimdark. Well, not this. <laughs> well, it, it hasn't been fantasy for 40 years. Like, the last time that kind of fantasy story was in vogue was like, when people were writing Lord of the Rings clones. <laughs> I'll, I'll be getting well, into it. We don't get that in The Wheel of Time. We don't get that in Mistborn. We don't get that. Like, And you love the lot, endings of those. Uh, we get a I lot do. more of it in those two series. Though. I do. But you know, but, but The Wheel of Time and The Lord of the Rings and Mistborn all have one thing that this doesn't have. And that is a genuine ray of hope. There's something beyond... Like, there's a force for good that works in the lives of these people. Maybe it's behind the scenes, like with the creator. But there is there is no parallel in the Black Company. We only have figures, like the mythological godlike figures, who are associated with death and power and and darkness and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, like with, with the what end... What are you talking about? No... We're left with Croker as an immortal, all-powerful golem to watch over all Croker... the worlds, and Kina, the evil goddess, is dead. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Croker does not qualify as as a I, I, very I morally think, I think upright this... person. Man, you're... Oh, this is really frustrating to me, because A, you're like... You're complaining about this series not doing something that the series never set out to do. Right, and no. And saying the series failed. Using the word failed is just wrong. He nailed what he was doing. Right. I'm not... He, I would say he nailed what he was doing. It's just not what I was looking for. And this is... this Again, this is going to go into a point that I'm going to really, really elaborate upon in, in my conclusion. It's all about what you expect. I think this is part of mine and Pat's problem, if I may be well, so no, bold to say. Pat specifically used the I word think failed. I think we're on the same page, though, Rob. Would you be willing and, to but, retract the word failed, though, Pat? Well, uh, it's not as all-encompassing as, as Drew may have taken it to be. Like, I meant in, in one... One aspect, like I don't consider the no, series. No, but, but there was uh, the series a failure. There's nothing consider... about failure in it. It's only a failure if the author failed to do something he set out to do. He did not. Okay, that's fair because I'm not saying <laughs> that that he failed at trying to do something. Yeah, I think something just got lost in translation that's, there. That's not. I my, guess that's not my. Method. I don't understand it because I don't. I don't understand how you can go into the last book having read all of the ones before it, expecting like a cheery, happy ending. No one dies. I, like, well, I didn't expect any of there. I mean, <laughs> I didn't expect any of that. Um, and I, I would have been fine 
with a lot of death, to be sure. But there, like there is, this series is all yin and no yang. Is what is the the basically well, what I'm some... saying, and that's not. What? I don't agree with that either. No, <laughs> this the whole point of the series is that it is a balance between. My complaint would be the yang doesn't balance the yin. Where's but the there mean, is some yang. Light. Where's the light in any of Tobo this? is the light, even I though I don't like Tobo. I just talked about it. What I about... just talked about it. We have Ardatha Singh in charge of, like, the greatest empire in, in three worlds, and he's the one good man involved in all of it. Yeah, the one. One. Yeah, but... <laughs> and, and, he, and he now has the reins of power to effect good change upon the world. Until somebody assassinates like, him and then overthrows his empire and takes it over again. That's that's the that's the feeling that I get. Even though you're absolutely validated <laughs> in that and, and correct, you're you're right. We're left I with mean, a ray like, of I'm hope. Just, I just don't see how there's any difference between the end of this series and the end of the Wheel of Time. There's like, plenty. We're, of we're left with we're left with good people in charge, but it's still bittersweet, and 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 there's still a you know like plenty of opportunity for things to go wrong in the future. Uh, like in the Wheel of Time, from the very beginning to the very end, we have the idea that the world is a fundamentally good place, um, where good can mm. triumph over evil, and that it's worth fighting all of the darkness and all of the despair. I never got right. that impression once in the Black Company. People were, like, the Black Company were just fighting, well, first of all, because they had nothing better to do, and in some other cases, they were just fighting for revenge. They weren't if, trying to make the world a better place. They weren't fighting for the light. If I could possibly okay. translate that, I'd say in the Wheel of Time, they are fighting for good. In the Black Company, they're just always fighting against bad. Yeah, I mean, that's sure, a, you can that's make that good, distinction. That's a good way to put I, it. I agree more with that than than how Pat put it. Like, Because I don't think the Wheel of Time posits that the world is fundamentally good. Oh, I definitely do. I, I disagree with that, dude. The, the Wheel of Time uh, is very, very clear in that, I think, throughout the whole thing. <laughs> no, like, well, we're, the, I think part of our so problem many, is that so we're comparing many it to the Wheel of Time about how human nature like, I think we make is, a mistake. is corrupting and selfish. Right, and like, I think we're making a mistake when that, we compare it to mm -hmm. other series. We should not put Glenn Cook yeah. in this box. Allow him well, yeah. and allow him the dignity and, of and landing the ending that he wanted to land and that's yeah, fine and ultimately that's why the black company was such a transformative series is because this wasn't like anything else that had been done before it it did change the landscape and it did give us a new generation of what became grimdark fantasy i agree with and that. i do think grimdark in especially some of the more recent stuff has gone too far into the the um the nihilistic point of view um and, but I I never saw this series as nihilistic. Um, I saw it as deeply human. Um, and and I don't know. Maybe that's just not to your taste. But it, it is a it is a series that explores you know the good and bad sides of humanity and how people can do good things for bad reasons and can do bad things for good reasons. Yeah, that's you why know? I will not say uh, it was a bad ending. I didn't like it. Yeah. It does not by any means Ooh. say yeah. that it was a bad ending. I wasn't let down, nor did I think that, unlike A Game of Thrones, I don't think the various plot or character arcs felt clipped or cut off at the end. Oh, I did. Eh. No. I did. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that yeah. in character here. Yeah, this is more of yeah. like the, uh, I mean, we can move to characters. That's a good... 
That's a good uh, segue. I, I just... I, sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think we still have a few more uh, style points to go over mm. before we get to character. Yeah. Go ahead, you start uh, us off then. Rob, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, um, I was going to say... Uh, especially in the last half of this book, this is the most lyrical Glenn Cook gets. Um, you know, Rob, you, you, you know, had moments in earlier books where you're like, I want to see a whole book like this. <laughs> and this is as close as you get. Yeah. You know, like yeah, where, this, I think where that was during dream. Really, I said that with the lady, he's really flexing the writing muscles, yeah. um, in, in the latter half of this book. And, and it, again, it's, it fits with Croker's character where he, he's getting older and he's getting a little more serendipitous, and uh, and then we get, of course, the re- revelation at the end of this that so many of these super lyrical and, and beautiful prose passages in past books were really Croker as Shvetya, as the golem, going back. And, you know, because we get... It's, it's made explicit oh my right God. at the end of the book. Um, and and now I can finally talk about my like theory about how um, uh, Smed Stahl's story was written when Smed Stahl never told a soul about his story. Um, but but so you may not have picked this up if you did the audiobook. But in the last chapter of this book, right, we have um, Shukrat and Arcana. Yep. There, there are two scenes. There's a, a hard break, and and the first bit is Shukrat writing, and the second bit is Arcana writing. And in the text, you get to the end of the book, and you have, and it is Shukrat's damned turn to write the sneaking, slacking little bimbo. And then there's a big chunk that's in italics, and then the last line is not. Soldiers live and wonder why. That italicized bit is Croker because it's in first person again. And he says in the night when the wind dies and silence rules a place of glittering stone, I remember and they all live again. It's Croker. And so all of these incessant wind sweeps the plain passages throughout the books of Seth and the books of glittering stone have been Croker as Shvetya going back. Makes sense. I do like that. I do like yeah. that. I I love that that affectation, so, and that's why I've always pointed out mm. those passages in previous books, and why they're always among my favorite scenes. Mm. Yeah, uh, during the audiobook, there was a noticeable break there. Uh, this was narrated, I believe, by Sam West. I'm uh, forgive me if I'm getting the narr- uh, the narrator's name incorrectly, but yeah, it, I mean, there was a noticeable break in those final few pages where it was very clearly a different voice and it was Arcana writing and it, she drew the point that oh, it's, it's Shukrat's turn to narrate and <laughs> yeah. even though it, it was still a female Sam West managed to make it a different female so I was able to immediately get mm. that it was Shukrat but I did not pick up on the fact that last line you know soldiers live and wonder why I thought that was something that Croker had possibly passed down onto them through the company but well it was well so that was it so the last line soldiers live and wonder why is back to shukrat or arcana 
But the chunk about incessant whims sweeps the plane, that is Croker. That is italicized. Right. Soldiers live in Wonder Why is okay. not italicized. Oh, I thought the soldiers live in and wonder why was the italicization. Mm. No. Okay. It's the wind passage. Interesting. Or that is italicized. And I like that even more. I do like that even more. Sweet. Mm -hmm. Uh, My last style point, I'm going to summarize real real quickly uh, why I wasn't personally, not objectively, but personally a fan of this ending. I like a bit of flavor of nostalgia. Perhaps the extra step of this has been planned from the beginning with my endings. Mm -hmm. Moments where some of our perhaps some of our first words can come back to us or a hidden revelation that Cook's been hiding something all along, perhaps, to leave us with. I'm used to that kind of thing with what I grew up with reading. I grew up with reading... You didn't get a hint of nostalgia with the end of this? Not particularly. Like, I grew up with with Harry Potter (laughs) and then straight into the Wheel of Time and then straight into Brandon Sanderson, especially with Brandon Sanderson, I'm looking for, when I get to my endings, some flavor of this has been planned from the beginning. And I didn't really get any of that, which is a bit disappointing to me. Again, personally, not not objectively, just personally. I had so many expectations that really weren't fulfilled in this series. And honestly, I don't get the impression anywhere that, that this particular ending to the series was anywhere on Cook's mind during the writing of the first books. Or at least uh, definitely not from everything through the uh, Silver Spike, objectively speaking. At least at least not, um, it, it was not as far as I know um, when he wrote the first book. Because the first book started as him just like writing a short story. Right. About like raker in or and you, you said know. it was like seven chapters if i remember correctly yeah well the first book the black company is seven chapters and mm-hmm. one of those seven chapters is the short story raker what does the short story raker have to do with this ending the that's my point is he wrote the the first book of the black company he did not have this ending in mind Right. He started it just writing a short story. Yeah, well, I, I also didn't really yeah. get the feeling, and this could just be a personal failing, I will admit that, that I, I, but I didn't get the feeling that he really had planned this particular ending at all through like the, like the first five, no, six, seven. No, he didn't. That's what I'm saying. Wait, five, six, seven books? No, he, yeah. he had this ending in mind as soon as he wrote Shadow Games. Oh, I'm, yeah, okay. He well, already sorry. had the wind passing in there and... and Dreams of Steel as like six seven. I keep I keep placing Silver Spike in there where it doesn't chronologically. Well, oh, sorry, where it, yeah, it doesn't chronologically belong. Yeah, yeah. Silver Spike was written after Shadow Games. Yeah, I can see this being part of his plan past like Dreams of Steel. Shadow Games is I didn't get that. Mm, I don't know. Maybe I just don't yeah, remember no, he, Shadow Games. He either. already was seeding in the wind passages and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, the wind. He already had right. the whole plan with for like the return Shavetia. to Cadavar and and Taglios and Kina and all that. Yeah. That that was all that groundwork was being laid in Shadow. Again, Games. though, this is just something that I'm personally looking for, and it does not mean by any stretch of the word. When I look at it in hindsight, if I try to place it objectively, it does not mean the ending failed in any way. It's just a failing of mine, if anything, because of what I expected having grown up reading all these other authors that I had just listed and kind of expecting that here. It's, it's a personal failing. I'll admit that. No, Rob. No, I don't it's think it's not a failing. It's don't just a personal taste. Never yeah. apologize for your taste. <laughs> uh, knowing that, did you like the original three books of the North better than yes. the rest? Much better. Yeah. Yeah, I would say I, I do. don't. <laughs> now the writing, think, the writing is better, but uh, in the books of the South and the books of Glittering Stone, but the story oh, is yeah. better. Oh, I disagree. No, Damn. but I, there's, I, I think I disagree too. No, like 
This was a great ending. It was a great ending. I, it just wasn't it's, what I was looking for, and so it kind of took me a little by surprise, even though I, in hindsight, I shouldn't have been surprised by it. Lyrically, I, I it's a good like, ending. I, I like that, you know, this is a different thing. You know, we've, we've covered several different series on this podcast now, and most of them, your Rob, either you had read before or it's unfinished. The only one, right, that you hadn't read before and that we did finish was the first Rune Lords series. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Oh, yeah, but Everything those were our first few episodes. One. I didn't know what the hell I was. I still don't yeah. know what the f*** I'm talking about. Well, but, but even then, those Rune Lords books, they were much more in the vein of Brandon Sanderson, Robert Jordan, you know, that kind of fantasy storytelling rather than the Glenn Cook, uh, you know. Yeah. George R. R. Martin, oh, uh, Kane. Stover. Sorry, Axel. Oh yeah, Kane. I guess we we read Kane. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I mean I think personally the end of the Axe of Kane is a lot like the end of this one. Yeah, that's. Uh, I agree. Thematically, and it it doesn't have. I mean, there's there's more of a, a level of like you know godlike powers obviously in the Axe of Kane. Um, so maybe that can scratch Pat's itch a little more. Although Pat, I know you have other issues with the acts of Cain <laughs> on a philosophical level, right? Uh, which which are very fair. I mean, I, I I think a lot of people will have philosophical issues with that series. Um, but but yeah, I I like that we're doing things that aren't just the same story or the same kind of story over and over and over again. And for me, this was really refreshing. After we just did, like, a year of Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> <laughs> that might be it, yeah. Like, like we... Last year, we started off by finishing The Wheel of Time, Brandon Sanderson's books, and then we went basically right into Mistborn Era 1 and the Stormlight Archive. And then we spoiled. did a bunch of Sanderson short fiction, uh, you know, interspersed there for bonus episodes. And so it's like... Going back to Glenn Cook here, I was like, it, it's just so refreshingly different. It is always to nice me. to get the taste of Lopin out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would call it different. I don't know if I'd call it refreshingly different. Much funnier so than funny. I did say. No, so. I mean, I, oh, I, I make a point that I always give credit where credit is due, and Glenn Cook is funny. Like, oh, yeah. He is actually funny. funny. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm going to be getting hilarious. there in our, in our yeah, character we'll, we'll have points. Yeah, we'll 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 have some <laughs> anything some else? one-liners highlighted later. Yeah. Um, anything else for style? No, I I think that's uh, that's it for style for me. And everything else will be um, for the uh, uh, miscellaneous and favorite scenes at the end. Okay, uh, that's it to jump too. into characters, we might as well start with Croker. Obviously, yeah, we got to do Croker. Will we start with? Okay. Um, so, <laughs> I feel like we all just took a deep breath. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Now that we've spent thirty-five minutes, <laughs> yeah, on style, my man, Croker, you brilliant, curmudgeonly, cranky, and pure-hearted old fart, you really didn't disappoint me, did you? No, I, I, <laughs> I, I can't express how glad I was to see that Croker was the analyst of the final book. That just felt so appropriate. Yes, couldn't be anyone His else. Humor. His humor is all over this book. Whether he even considers it humor or not, there's this moment with Sleepy, and I'm sure this is one of those aforementioned quotes that you were going to bring up, Drew, telling Croker to take her up in the air to survey the damage on the palace. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Croker, so... goes, Croker goes, you? Sleepy's like, 
me. I'll keep my eyes closed until there's something to see. Before we leave, I'll throw an old blanket over my seat so I won't get your post all wet. And Croker just writes, I shook my head disconsolate. I wish Swan were still around. A straight line like that shouldn't go to waste. <laughs> Cheers on that one, man. So good. Oh, yeah. The... The number of times, like, Croker bemoans the fact that, like, Swan or, or One-Eye is dead because because they would have just jumped on some unintended innuendo with both feet, like... <laughs> yeah. You get a it's sense of the fact that, that these men aren't just dead, they are, they're missing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's important that he establishes that, that it's it's not just they're dead and, and gone... But that people remember them and they have legacies that carry yeah. on because that helps drive home the emotional impact of the end of this book. And the theme. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, this is Willow Swan living on immortally in, in a way in, in Croker's memory right here in this moment. Yep. Yep. Immortality uh, of a sorts? Of a sort. Immortality of a sort. Uh, but, but as far as Croker goes, uh, Rob, I know a few episodes ago you predicted Croker was going to die. Yes. I definitely um, did. I, if you had told, if you had asked me, Rob, you're going to place money down on one person who is going to die, I would have said, well, it has to be Croker. Even more than Kina. <laughs> Even more than, <laughs> than, than, than Mogaba. It, it has to be Croker that dies. There's no way that he comes out of this alive. So the fact that he came out of this with immortality, I was like, what? Yep. <laughs> I did appreciate that, that spin right there, that complete flipping of my expectations. It was entertaining. I I loved that like that little the swapping places thing and rereading this there are hints that it's coming uh, as, uh, throughout this book I there are little context. hints but the first time definitely not because it's not something you would ever even anticipate being a right you know a I, thing I don't like, it's I, not like I, a magical I, magical mechanics thing that you would even have the context to anticipate you're right you I would never me. guess that he would ever be okay with that like he's too old and cranky to be like let me stick around forever like but he's old and cranky and he gets <laughs> transferred he knows, out of his body into an immortal knows, powerful uh, body it's awesome but he knows well, that no, it isn't body doesn't matter forever either like like as soon as we discover mm -hmm. that Shivetya can do the body swap with croker it's like oh well it's actually not indefinite mm -hmm. at all it's really at the uh at the discretion yeah. of whoever actually has the power. So what? Sometime in the future, Croker will do another swap with somebody else. I mean, sure. Why yeah. not? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. As long as he can convince somebody, you know. <gasps> I mean, what he didn't Shvedia? have Shvedia didn't have any trouble convincing him. <laughs> right. True. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but it took a while for not that connection much. to be established, yeah. right? Um. But yeah. Yeah. I. I really like it. I think it's appropriate for the historian to become uh what did uh what what did uh like shukrat call him a a, a big old wise sea dragon swimming all around in the ocean of history <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's perfect for croker mm -hmm. for croker I, it's I'm, perfect i'm glad yeah. that he gets his sort of happy ending yeah, but but of course, in my opinion, the best endings are bittersweet, and this one is very much bittersweet. What, okay, uh, explain the bittersweet part of it, because he has to kill his child, Boo Boo. That's the bitter part of the sweet. 
Well, no, the, the the bittersweet aspect of it is that he got to live forever, but all of his friends died. And that he has to go on remembering them, but not getting to experience suppose, new things with by them. By that point... And that's why, that's why, to me, this is... Um, there is such a hefty like feeling of nostalgia to the end of this book because it's Croker's nostalgia. It's him remembering. It's him tying back to the very beginning of the black company. When he talks about how many of these men will only ever be remembered in the annals. Mm -hmm. And it ends with him saying, I remember. And they all live again. You know, like I, I love that just that emotional um, brightness where where there is something uplifting to it, but at the same time, it is tinged with melancholy because all of these men died. One soldier lived, many did not, mm-hmm. and that one soldier will remember them. You know, I, I just, I love that. I think that's definitely more bittersweet than nostalgic. Well, it's it's Croker's nostalgia, right? Nostalgic feels like it should be happier to me, but maybe that's my personal definition. Interesting. I I do not find like whenever I'm feeling nostalgic, I always I always feel like there's a a sort of hollowness to it. I a a, yeah an intangible Um, yeah. Then I which is of course why nostalgia can be such a dangerous thing to indulge in. I definitely had problems with that at one point in my life, but thankfully, yep. I think I, f- I figured out a way to enjoy the nostalgia without bringing on the melancholy. But anyway, this That's isn't good. a therapy podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, do we do we have any more about Croker? I just just a couple of his one liners that are just so full of his humor that I love them. <laughs> that I love them. Hey. Let's stroll off a dire- that direction about a half a mile. Get lost for half an hour. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I'm certainly tempted, but I'm wondering what's gotten into you. I pinched her behind. She squeaked and swatted my arm. I said, whoops. Both of Chevetia's eyes were turned our way now. The lady said, well, that sort of takes the edge off the moment, doesn't it? <laughs> it did. So did several pairs of eyes watching from where the rest of the crowd were gathered. The youngsters in particular were appalled. Oh, well. Life's a bitch. <laughs> I love how Croker turns into like a horny old man in this book. If I could get an entire like... book of Croker just like narrating the Olympics or something like that, I would want that. His voice is something that I just cannot get enough of. It's I have just, ah. At the end of so the good. series, I always have this mental image of like lady sitting on the golem's lap. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, Daniel, no, no, no. Sketch Kroker that now. Like, hey, can we like, make that the f- yeah. thumbnail for the part two here? <gasps> oh no! Come no, on, do it. Do it. <laughs> we have to do it, or at least as, as a bonus for the patrons. I don't. I don't. We need to get Daddy to read it. <laughs> no, we don't. We can just explain the scene to her. Hey, listen. If you're a patron, I would love to bring that to you. If we can convince Danielle to do that, I'm sure she would do it. If we just asked her. Oh my gosh! It's so good. I, I would love to see that. I, w- I would make that my desktop background. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, anyway, oh, my last croaker line that I just wanted to, to, to draw forth here is when at what point <clears throat> Arcana tells him, do what you did to us, make them strip naked, take their right geistin and their shifts of Boken, make them stay on the ground where they're vulnerable and promise them they'll get everything back after they show you that you can trust them. Then you stretch it out. Croaker just goes, I'm going to adopt you. You'd make a wonderful <laughs> daughter. Hey, mm-hmm. evil minded future daughter number two. You heard Arcana. What do you think? And then Sukrat, uh, Shukrat agrees, and he goes, "Excellent. Now let's go ask your wicked future mother's opinion." Uh, <laughs> just, yep. He he has this flavor of understanding how ridiculous every situation that he finds himself in is. Yep. And he loves to make yeah. fun of it, even if it's not even a particularly funny thing or a comedic attempt of his. It's even funnier for us, and I love it. Was it Kroger's idea or Lady's idea to come up with the name Boo Boo? Uh, it was, I think it was One Eye or Goblin. Was it Willis oh, really? Water Sleeps? Yeah, it was It was somebody in Water Sleeps. Uh, it may have even been Willow Swan. That's what uh, I just said. Where, yeah, I think it was Willow Swan, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, because he remarks, he's like, you guys still call her the daughter of night? Why don't you just, like, call yeah, her Yeah, and then Croker brings up to Lady, and she's like, excuse me? Boo-boo? He's like, well, I just, I yeah. heard that. Uh, we needed something, right? I I, I want to say it was Willow Swan, but I'm not 100% think, on that. I think you're right. It may have been Willow Swan. The Croker humor made me think of it. Mm-hmm. It is. I think mm-hmm. that's why Croker carried it, because that's exactly his <laughs> brand of humor. Like, you heard yeah, that? Well, and like, and you know then that? he has the one line where, uh, you know, when they're in Dejigore, and Lady's like, you know... It was in this bed that we made Boo Boo, and Croker's like, which was a real Boo Boo. Oh. <laughs> I forgot about that until you said that. Nice. Yeah. All right, I'm done with Croker for now. All right, I want to talk about Mogaba. Mogaba? Straight into Mogaba? Hmm. Okay. Why? We talked a little bit about him last week, um, and and I, I kind of promised there would be more about him this week, because in this half of the book especially, this is where we see Mogaba transformed. Uh, I think he becomes a full-on sympathetic character by the end of this book. Yep, I agree. It's it, he he finally wins his inner battle, and I like him by the end of it. I hated oh, Mogaba no, I in like bleak seasons and She Is the Darkness, but by the end of this book, I was like, man, I like this guy. This great, great character arc. Nah, hmm. nah, he he does he, well. I was this close. I was so close to being right where you are. And then he had to go f-ing kill Mergen and and Sleepy and everyone else. And well, he wasn't specifically like, okay. setting out to kill them. Yeah, I mean, he... Like, okay, never mind, f*** you. <laughs> go die. <laughs> I think to kill I, some things are unforgivable. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I liked, you know, we have the Mogaba point of view right before that night raid where he sees them landing and he has this change of heart right there he's like he almost went to go shout to tell people to to call it off and then he's like well it doesn't like it's too late uh it, even if i did it right now they wouldn't be able to you know to go stop the trap in time like he he decides in that moment he's like i shouldn't have done this but you know and yeah. and he he did it at a point where of, he couldn't reverse it yeah um it, it's it, it was one of the one of the tipping points for him, I think, mm. uh, knowing like not only did he make yet another in a long line of mistakes. I mean, 
uh, what he what he described like his sins. His sins have led him to serving an unending su- succession of like despotic and incompetent rulers, <clears throat> or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it was it was not only a, another sin in that line, but it killed people he respected. Mm-hmm. And that was that was, I think, like the final kind of turning point that led him to ultimately cast aside his ego and say, I can I can live with being known as a coward who fled the battlefield if it helps stop the death. Mm. Yeah. Is it fair to say that I hate him as a person, but he's a very well written character? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's that's. About, I mean, like it's it's pretty tough to overlook the fact that he's a cannibal. Yeah, uh, I was about to say that. Like, <laughs> we can't just primarily. tipsy toe over that little. Yeah, uh, just slide over that patch. Yeah, despite despite his uh, enjoyment of the long pig, you know. Yeah, long I think pig. T- uh, Tobo <laughs> was a long pig. That's Tobo a term I haven't heard justified. In a long time. Tobo was justified in killing him, although he wasn't justified in torturing him. Right. That's yeah. that's my problem. That one hundred percent of my problem. Yeah, with Tobo. Yeah. Sorry. No, Mogaba. Mogaba had a sort of it's a, that's tragically fun. heroic ending, which is ironically exactly mm-hmm. what he would have always wanted. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I guess so. Just yeah. Not at all in the way that he would have wanted it to come about. Right. Yeah. Like um, Mogaba, f- for me, was again just like with Pat. He was almost. Almost a completely sympathetic character. I cannot get past his his cannibalism as a, as a much younger person. I can't get past his mm-hmm. continued resistance to the Black Company and and supporting of Soulcatcher because you know how much I hate her by this point. Um, yeah, but <laughs> and again, there is this this very very definitive moment I think where there had to be a point at which he realized as he was setting that trap that killed Sleepy and killed. Uh, uh, so many others i believe mergen as well in that same one it's just like no no mergen was mergen, killed earlier at the uh, mergen died cemetery. in the night raid oh the night raid he yeah and sleepy was killed entering the city yes yeah, okay like, so the one that killed sleepy the... and so many others there had to be a point at which obviously he could have called that off far earlier and he still didn't so i mean he's not a completely uh redemptive character but i no. i hated the, the fact that he turned slightly at the end he was still killed which i can still understand but the fact that he was tortured for days afterwards makes me just kind of put this series as a whole in that grim dark area that i just can't say i entirely like (laughs) well so on that topic of um, mogaba's death and torture uh let's talk about tobo okay writing was on the wall i mean come on because Rob, you were complaining that Tobo was too perfect, and that yeah, he had no, too I, much I, power, too, too perfect, and, uh, yeah, with his power. But again, in that moment, I said not as a character, not as a person, but in his abilities, and this just well, Sorry, and his ahead. abilities are hampered now. He's got like a permanent brain injury. Like he's okay. he's no longer the all powerful sorcerer that he may have been because he's yeah you know he lady almost at died. One point, lady said that he may be a match for me in my prime someday. He's definitely mm-hmm. not that now, but uh, he just Tobo disappointed me so much. Pride he's, cometh before uh, the fall. I think yeah. in in yep. the single most disappointing character 
in this whole series in terms of his potential and then what he turned out to be. I had such high hopes for Tobo from the beginning. I was hoping, not, not expecting, but hoping that he would be the prophesied like rival of Kina and that he would continue to lead the Black Company for generations with a firm but warm, wholesome example that he got from Sara. Damn, God damn, did he end up disturbing me, though. Like, I was shaking my <laughs> yes. head and groaning, no, 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 as he went to assassinate Aradatha Singh. I absolutely hated him when it was revealed that he killed Mogaba, as we were just talking about, and Gopal Singh. Though I was, I was holding out hope that maybe somebody, perhaps, I don't know, Soulcatcher being one of the only loose cards here, that may have just been framing him. But as we went on, and, and keeping in mind that Croker made care to mention that by the evidence, Mogaba was tortured before death for days. I was mm -hmm. nothing but disgusted by the kind of person who could physically find that in them to do. I'm sorry. I understand he had a turning around afterwards and he, he was set straight with a company. He healed Lady's wound. But the fact that he was capable of that in the first place shows yeah. me that he's susceptible as a person to corruption if you can emotionally wound him enough. It I mean, young, power corrupts, young, powerful, power corrupts absolutely. Young, powerful, you know, uh, somewhat terrible past that he had to deal with. I mean, he's a prime candidate. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I, we saw moments of vulnerability when, when uh, earlier he was being flirted with, and he was being all crazy, blush in the face, and he was making unwise decisions. I mean, he's definitely vulnerable, but like uh, as as a character, he's just. I, I just, I can't find myself leaving this series with a lot of hope for the Black Company, knowing that Tobo is, is, is the one that's basically leading so, them. I, well, Suverin's leading I know, them. I know, I know Suverin has the title of captain, but Tobo is the one that they rely upon. To, like, well, Tobo is far more that's irreplaceable. Why, that's why I think the brain injury is, is big. Tobo won't be physically capable of running roughshod over everyone anymore because he can't even trust that his own body is going to obey him. Like they talk about like half the time he can barely talk, you know? And, uh, and so the fact that he has been crippled in that way, combined with the fact that Shukrat does seem to be a good person. Yeah, she does. I, uh, Shukrat um, is, 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 ugh. Yeah, are the Vorash girls not wonderful? They are. They really are. Arcana's a bit of a of a conniving bitch, but I love I Arcana. Be, I can still see her being, you know, redeemed. But especially Shukrod, she's just so she's adorable. Yes, she really is. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so that's why I think there's hope for Tobo is that he he has learned a pretty grave lesson, and and the mechanics for his corruption have been partially taken away from him. But it still pisses me off with his potential. Oh, what yeah. Could I mean, he he was... been? What could yeah, he yeah, have yeah. been? <laughs> I think one eye and goblin would be disappointed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but as, a... as, as terrible as they could be as well individually, they still would have been disappointed. Sorry, go ahead. It's a good scene to have in the book, though, for this reason. Um, you know, we hate Mogaba for so long that we imagine, you know, Oh man, I want the son of a bitch to go down, and I want him to go down hard, and I want him, I want him raped and tortured, and whatever. And then you see Whoa. it, you see it. Speak happen. for yourself. <laughs> but no, no. My point is, you see it happen in the book. Yeah. And you go, whoa, 
maybe I was a little bit too yep. hasty. It makes you question a bit of your own dark nature. With my sure. judgment and, you know, my desire for revenge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it yeah, works in context, yeah. Uh, who who else do you guys have uh, character notes on? Here? Um, I have one about Lady. Oh, sorry, I should, I should say one each about Lady Soulcatcher and uh, Sleepy. Okay. So with Lady, uh, oh god, my heart did nothing but bleed for her through this entire thing. I mean, yes, <sighs> on one hand, you have to take what I said before, and I still stand up to. I remember the lady that was that we had during the books of the North, and particularly the lady that we got in Dreams of Steel. So it was hard for me to feel anything but you might not deserve this, but you also can't complain, lady. But that's a remarkably easy thing to say to someone like the Lady of Charm and much harder to, to say to a grieving mother, old in her years and sobbing over her choice to end her, daughter, her daughter's life, to save mankind potentially, and lamenting the fact that she, finally lamenting that she never got to be a mother. Like, I truly enjoyed everything that we had Lady in this book, and especially oh. with her exchanges with Croker in the series. Like, they're just, those are so adorable. And I leave Lady with a confidence that she is one of the strongest females, not just in power, but in character in all of epic fantasy, That I, at least epic fantasy that I've read. You know, she's, yep. she's I, I, incredible. I agree with but, you ex with one small caveat, and that's that go ahead. she let Soulcatcher live. Yeah. Have uh, people not learned your lesson yet? <laughs> How many times do we have to go through this? Don't even Just get me started with Slowcatcher. Uh, oh god. So I I like that there's a different tinge to that decision this time around. Where it's it's from an emotional standpoint, where Lady has she she has gotten to this extremely emotionally vulnerable state. And uh, where family means a lot to her. And this is her last living family member. This is her, her sister, who may or may not be her little sister. Oh, um, I'm not <laughs> which even is something we'll get to in miscellaneous me. points. Um, but, but she chooses to preserve Soulcatcher out of a, an illogical, emotional place. Whereas so many times before, like with the Howler or Long Shadow, they're like, we're going to be cold-blooded and try to like milk them for all their knowledge. You know, it, it wasn't like that with Soulcatcher. Um, and, and I do agree, Rob. Like, I think Lady's a phenomenal character. She is possibly my favorite in this whole series. Uh, and she is certainly like... Uh, an upper tier favorite character across all the many, many fantasy books I've read. And I will also make this categorical statement. Croker and ladies romance is in my opinion, like just the most wonderfully genuine romance I've ever read in fantasy. I was wondering whether or not to say something along those same lines. I wanted to call their relationship among my, my favorite in, in, in all of Epic fantasy. Like it has are, so many problems. I'm so glad you said that. But at its root, there is so much love and understanding for each other. It, it just it's um, it's a mm. close second behind Pippin and Second Breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> but a yes. close second. 
You can't make well, it very no. close. Very close. <laughs> For a second, I thought you were going to actually like bring up another romance. So I was like, really, Pat? Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about redemption, I think ladies arc has a ton of redemption. Just think about where she started. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, for me, it's there. The fact there that... is. Sorry, go ahead. She did remember. She did massacre a ton of people. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think there is still a hint. Um, there, like this is why Lady's such a good character, man. Like there is so many layers to her. Um, what you mean, I like a glimmer? That... when you get passionate got, about this, we got the this ending. You know, with with Arcana, and she says. A while ago, I saw her spinning tiny fireballs. I think if there was some way she could make love to that big, big monster over there, she would do it three times a day. Because it is from him that the power flows. It is, probably, the best and most meaningful gift he has ever given her. And with it, she can become anything she wants to be. Maybe even the young and beautiful and romantically sorrowful and remote Lady of Charm again. There's That's this... the line that gave me the mental image of... Of course Lady it did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but that's that's counteracted. You know, that so that line brings in the sentiment that like Croker's playing with fire. He's enabling Lady to once again become the dark and evil Lady of Charm. However, earlier earlier in the book, uh when Lady wakes up Boo Boo, she says, I'm an incurable romantic. The essence of romance is an unshakable conviction that next time will be different. And that's why, that's one of the reasons why I kind of disagree with Pat's like kind of impression of like, there's no good hope in the future is that these people are clinging to this romantic desire for a better future, despite their own impressions of the world, like uh, uh, trying to stay the same. I and I love that. Like I, I love that they're being like militantly hopeful in their own ways. Only as, I mean, I get the impression they're only hopeful in insofar as their own self interest is concerned. <sighs> See, mm. I, I don't. Well, I, don't I would so. disagree with Lady, especially after she's gone through this maternal loss. Mm. Never mind that it's the daughter of the night. Yeah, but it's her daughter. Right. Despite so, that, it's a daughter yeah. of night. Um, and, and I gotta say, I really... This is one of the reasons I want A Pitiless Rain to be written. I want to see Lady be Shukrat and Arcana's mom. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. That would be uh, uh, like, unconventionally like, wholesome. The main reason I want that book is because I want more of Shukrat and Arcana... And lady, I would read the shit out of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd pay money for that for sure. Um, and uh, if if we ever read Port of Shadows and cover it on the podcast, we'll we'll talk a little bit about uh, a little bit more about Lady um, in that one because there is yeah. uh, mm. some very there, there intriguing is a, things. It's a super weird book. Where is it chronologically? Why we're not just chronologically? It takes place between. The Black Company and Shadows Linger. Probably. <clears throat> Probably. 
Um, like we said, like it's a it, weird book. It does, but there is a very strong possibility that there is a time-traveling lady from after Soldiers Live. I was going to say, isn't that right in her in the middle of her dark rule? I mean, yeah, there's there is a theory in uh, a, a theory that I ascribe to that there is a character in Port of Shadows who has a a very domestic relationship with Croker. Who is the lady post soldiers live and Croker let her go back in time to experience the domestic life she never got to have with Croker. Wow. What? It's that, it's that's crazy, interesting. But but yeah. Um uh, <laughs> so you know, but but if we if we ever cover Port of Shadows, it'll be a ways down the road. It 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 really is like you don't want to read it between the black company and shadows linger because it just won't work there but you don't you also don't really want to read it immediately after soldiers live because this is the ending and port of shadows is not not as good a book (laughs) and and it could be a letdown if read immediately after soldiers live i don't know and there's some like there's some problematic like kind of creepy things in Port of Shadows too. So I gather. So I gather. (laughs) Um, But, but yeah, I just, if a pitiless rain comes along, I I want that domestic lady with her, her two evil genius daughters. (laughs) I can see that. And I would read that. Yep. My last point, uh, characters wise, soul catcher. I just want to say, fuck you, soul catcher. (laughs) I, Honestly, don't care if you ever get free. I kind of love the idea that you permanently are sentenced to live in the body of one bird after another. And they will die of old age again and again. You deserve nothing less and everything worse. The fact that you are angry about this, about your just dessert, just makes makes it all the sweeter. You crazy bitch. Mm -hmm. Yum, yum. I don't understand (laughs) why throughout the series, Croker is like weirdly friendly with her at certain points yeah right i think it's because she just reminds it's like of a lady they have this it's like they have this weird understanding between they each do. other no, I, no, I don't no. get it croker's, i think i think croker's just trying for the threesome no <laughs> oh no no uh, what i think it is is that croker uh, he is a a closet romantic um, and I'm not saying that he's like in love with Soulcatcher, but he he does love the idea of the all powerful person with a vulnerability. And Soulcatcher feels like Croker is the only person she can open up to. Mm-hmm. And so they have this like magnetism to each other that is entirely dysfunctional, but is nonetheless powerful. And so you you get those weird scenes like in in Ore when Soulcatcher like chats with Croker in the inn while they're like staking out the the Raker table or these odd moments in Dreams of Steel when Croker is her you know her captive and and things like that. Uh, it, it's you know, like it's not healthy, but it makes a certain weird sense. I don't know if I'll ever get it. I don't know. I will say, uh, as far as Soulcatcher goes, I think she's a great villain. 
She's somebody that it's wonderfully fun to love to hate. Um, she's she's just like she's so ridiculously evil that you know there there very few redeeming qualities to her. I don't think she's the like quite the same level of like hate sink as someone like Umbridge and Harry Potter or Bairn in, in the Acts of Cain. <laughs> yeah. Um but but she's enjoyable to dislike. Enjoyable to dislike. That's how I felt about Mother Gota. That's not how I felt about <laughs> that's not how I she felt. She was about like a comedic dislike. Yeah, yeah, she's she's definitely got a, a comedy aspect to her. And Rob, I, I I was listening back to one of our earlier episodes. I think it <laughs> I know was what you're going to uh, say. Go ahead. Seasons. Yep. And and how you were you were disappointed that one eye was just trying to pawn her off on Goblin. And I and I told you I was like, we're going to revisit this at the end. And of you're going to like. And I want to get. Yeah. Did you did you end up liking? Of course, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. You know me. You know me. You nailed there, it on the head. There, they're so awful, but they're so great together. <laughs> yeah, they are. E- they are what each of them needed to be like, even more lovable in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but speaking of villains, it brings me to my last character point: uh, the Howler and Long Shadow. Oh, I was. <laughs> oh, sure. I was hoping for really good things from Howler and Long Shadow at the beginning of the book, and I, I felt let down. They just, they didn't do anything and they just kind of died. I wasn't yeah. expecting yeah. anything. <laughs> I mean, I didn't expect anything oh, from Long I mean, Shadow, but I do agree with the Howler. The Howler got like his whole condition uh, straightened by Shivetia, and he also passed on knowledge of the carpet making to Tobo. So. He, he did, but we didn't get to see like much come of that. Uh, I, I agree with Pat on that. I wanted the Howler to have um, a more explosive, like ending i'm mostly okay with you know all these like aside off-screen deaths but the howler is one that i really wanted there to be something more climactic to yeah like uh, he's one of the really taken for heaven's him? sake like over like uncle doge okay just just because the howler's been uh, you know an antagonist for so long that him going down like offhandedly to a shadow trap was like, oh man, like I, I wanted I, to see him, like you know, have some epic yeah. struggle with Tobo and Tobo taking down. I suppose down I kind or, of, I, I kind of anticipated that after he had his condition healed. I was like, well, he's not the, he's not the Howler anymore. Anything or him try to betray the company and Lady names him or something like that. Who sure. cares? Howler's yeah. always been a pawn. Like oh, he has. He was. He was never a leader. Croker does point that out. He's always been a follower. <clears throat> um. But but I just I don't know I, I agree with Pat I wanted something a little more there Jared he's at least a bishop <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> nope nope he's a pawn <laughs> no he's a knight pawns can get promoted come on he makes carpets he's a knight <laughs> okay fine <laughs> <laughs> yes. all right that's all of my uh, character points you guys ready to go into our miscellaneous Jared do you have any other character nope Drew. All right, miscellaneous points. Um, let's let's start with um, just a, a couple of little writing things. I I didn't want to include this in style because I don't think it's like a style meta thing so much as just individual notes. Um, we have once again uh, an unreliable narrator moment where 
Croker is talking about uh, Mogaba's cavalry, and he notes that they were mostly Vedna. Vedna had a tradition of being excellent horsemen. Earlier in this series, it was the Shadar who were excellent horsemen and had a tradition of uh, uh, equine is it mastery. Is exclusive? Does that, can it not be both? Well, it was specifically when Croker was building his army with Mogaba to go south to fight the Shadow Masters. He yeah. points out that the only ones who had any training with horses were Shadar. Were like oh. high caste Shadar. Oh. And now suddenly okay. the Vedna are excellent horsemen. And it just reminded me of when Croker, or no, uh, when Mergen said Sleepy was Shadar. And then we find out in Sleepy's book, no, Sleepy is Vedna. So my next question was, would be, does Glenn Cook have a continuity editor? Because I don't think, I mean, I'm sure he does, but I don't think this he cares. Strikes me I as think, the kind of like, thing that could I be think passed the, But he wouldn't do that deliberately, would he? No, oh, no, he, he, he could do it accidentally and just explain it off. I'm just suggesting, I'm not saying that this is the case. Yeah. Well, no, but, I, I think, Rob, you're right. I think there probably were things like that that he forgot and and after the fact may have noticed and been like, eh, it works. It's fine. We'll just, we'll just chalk <laughs> it up unreliable. to a, you know, unreliable narrator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like him saying, I mean, I'm sure this was on purpose, but him having Lady say that Soulcatcher is her younger sister and they call her Sileth in this book. And not only do they call her Sileth, but they call her Sileth. They changed the spelling of her name. Really? I did not pick up on that. In, in the uh, in the early books, Sileth in the White Rose is like S Y L I T H, yeah. and here it is S I L E T H. Oh, see, in the audiobook, I got the same exact thing. Just <laughs> could not even. Oh, interesting. There, interesting. There's so much friggin' wonkiness with the Senjak sisters' names. I, I don't even know. But but I mean, uh, just to that point of like spelling and and editors. Uh, all the way back in Shadows Linger, if you remember, they leave Juniper, right? And they go down to Medinville, which is where uh, Marin Shed fled and, and the second Black Castle was growing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At, at different points in the same book, it is Medinville and Medinval. Spelled differently in the same book. Sounds like he needs a continuity editor. book? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Come on. Oh, Glenn. Glenn. <laughs> Glenn, the last thing you need to do to me as a reader is confuse me with shit like this. Yeah, confuse (laughs) Because he's already deliberately confusing the hell out of you. (laughs) Right. Given how many times that Drew was dropping hints about unreliable narrators through this whole time, I was expecting it to have, like, a major plot impact. (laughs) Okay, yeah. I can see that. Never really happened. Depending on your interpretation of some scenes, (laughs) it could have. Uh, But, I I mean... It wasn't like a plot-altering thing. It was just, I think it's a, a really cool conceit that Glenn Cook was doing with these in-world books. Um, I, I, I did say, I will say, during your uh, point earlier about Smeds and his last scene, and how apparently nobody had ever told a living soul, you you did make that weighty enough that I thought it was going to have something meta involved. Mm-hmm. So, in, in a small way, I Is saw this that not coming, meta? Oh, no, you're totally right. You are absolutely <laughs> right. I just, I think because 
you prepared me for that in a small way, I kind of saw it coming. I was like, oh, okay, all right. But you didn't see it coming that Croker was going to turn into a (laughs) time-traveling immortal construct. No, no, no. no. (laughs) Not about this, but you had had made specific point to talk about that Smed stall scene and how... You have some questions yeah. after the series is over. I mean, part of it was this time through was the first time I noticed it. Where I was like, oh, wait a second. Smed's never told a soul about his story. He never told anybody in, like, he never told Case, so Case couldn't have known. It has to be Croker. It has to be Croker. <laughs> I the love Croconator it. 5000. And, and the fact that by the time we end the series, Croker is writing in a pretty sophisticated style and the smeds points of view in the silver spike are much more sophisticated than the case points of view has glenn cook really never been asked about this i don't know we don't have like a a, i would imagine he carries around we don't have a raffle card in his wallet yeah we don't have a theory land interview database or arcanum we've been so spoiled uh we have man we have um I, and that's one of the reasons I've been trying to uh, trying to get the powers that be at JordanCon to invite Glenn Cook uh, as a guest one of these years so I can just plant his butt in a chair and be like, here, have a beer. I'm going to ask you questions and you're going to give me answers. He would be a fun <laughs> author to have a beer with. I would oh, love you to know he would. Oh, don't even get me started. I'd, I'd love to get these podcasts in his hands and, and have him, you know, listen to the final draft. And, like, <laughs> we've been oh, the having final draft perhaps, but I wouldn't want to listen to my. We've been having so. beers. With, <laughs> with, we've been having beers with his essence for 13 episodes, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, Rob, do you have any uh, miscellaneous points here? I learned a new word. Ooh. I've made a point to draw. Whenever I, I, I learn a new word. This week it was puissant. Having oh, great yes. power or influence. Yep. Did mm-hmm. not know that word before. And last week you learned gazoombies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, puissant gazoombies. <laughs> gazoombies. Gazoombies was just gold. It was, a, it was an unexpected gift that I was not prepared to get. Hmm. <laughs> There were also some yep. listener questions, or at least a listener question that we got Okay, on our page here. This is from Mark Geller, I believe. Of course it is. Yes, it is. So he says, take your pick. Been enjoying the podcast. Rob's grumpiness and all. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> now that you're done, where do you rank the Black Company amongst other uh, fantasy series? Is its place as the grandfather of Grimdark justified? How influential do you think the Black Company has been to fantasy books? And I will let Drew begin with this, because I'm sure you have uh, the most to say. I do have things to say. Uh, And with the first question, uh, where do I rank it? I would encourage people to go read my article on Tor.com, my top ten... Uh, completed fantasy series and I had The Black Company as number two after The Wheel of Time. Uh, now, keep in mind that is only among completed series and I uh, there have been a few series I have read to completion since writing that that I think would, would bump in. Uh, Dominion of the Fallen by Aliette de Bedard would probably creep in there. Um, but it, The Black Company is one of my all-time favorite series. I, I 
I love the characters. I love the writing. I love how different it is. Uh, the Black Company has become a comfort read to me, where for a long time I would obsessively reread The Wheel of Time or, or The Rune Lords or Harry Potter. Um, and, I, and I've kind of grown out of that sort of obsessive compulsion to reread series. But the one series that I still want to reread often is The Black Company. Uh, I've basically been rereading it annually for the past six or seven years. Uh, I, I took off last year because I knew we were going to be covering it on the podcast. And, and I only got to read the first four books, uh, you know, covering it. So that was a little rough having to, to stop and wait. But, but it, it has become a comfort read to me. These books are old friends in the way that The Wheel of Time... Uh, is an old friend, but they're not as just time demanding as the wheel of time. They're easier to read. And in a lot of ways, I think they're more fun to read. So, <clears throat> I mean, I, I love them. I really love this series. No, no, it's, yeah, I, I, mean, I agree with a... what you were saying. Yeah. As far um, as how, like how I would rank them, I would probably <clears> say that the black <throat> company is not on my top three, but I think it would, would be my top five. That mm. see that's that's surprising, but I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. It's only because you haven't read the Gap Cycle yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll get there later this oh, year. Oh God, <laughs> we're gonna bring up Donaldson. Oh, which, please, right which uh, please let me on cycle, for Gap Cycle. <laughs> uh, the Gap Cycle in my tour article, I believe I had it ranked fourth. Really, it was either fourth or fifth. I, I read that article, but it's been a while. Wait, I can't, was... I can't remember, because my number one was Wheel Time, number two was Black Company, and then three, four, five, I don't remember the order, but the three were Book of the New Sun, The Gap Cycle, and The Axe of Cain. Mm. Um, is its yeah, place it's... as... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to read the next question, um, but if you got... Gap Cycle's definitely top three for me, but the Black Company... Black Company is in the top ten. Um, it's interesting to note, uh, when we're talking about the impact of the book... That some books don't immediately affect the culture as a whole, and they're not widely read by many people, but they did affect authors who were yes. who were widely read subsequently, um, and in my opinion, did an inferior job at what was being done here. Even though this isn't my favorite kind of thing, I, I, Glenn Cook probably does it better than anyone else I've ever read. Um, so he, so he has my respect for that. So, uh, so it's just it seems like kind of a shame that in a way it doesn't have the recognition it deserves. Yeah, I I agree with you. Like, I, that's not to say that there isn't good grimdark fantasy out there, but I think in in the explosion of popularity of grimdark in the you know early to mid two thousands, um, a lot of writers started how do I put it? Like, I think a lot of writers took concepts and ideas that cook was working on in the eighties and nineties and took them to extremes that Glenn cook would never have written. Uh, and, and their, their series, their books are weaker for it. I think there's more nuance. Uh, I think there's, better entertainment value in uh, something like The Black Company versus uh, a series that uses 
gore and graphic violence for entertainment value rather than any real um, uh, story development or character development. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not somebody who loves reading about like graphic torture scenes or rape scenes or things like that. But some of my favorite stories have included those things, but they include those things in, in ways that are um, genuine to the effects that that kind of stuff have on humans, mm. you know, like uh, having graphic offhand rape, often used as a character development device for a male character. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I don't particularly like the Thomas Covenant books. Uh, yeah. the, the first book famously, or, or perhaps infamously, opens with the main character, like within the first 15 pages, raping a young woman. And it does have like story-altering effects later on in the series, but mostly it's like, how does this affect the main character as the guy who raped this innocent girl. You know, that that to me doesn't ring like genuinely. And, and in fact, I think it feels a gratuitous. Mm. Whereas if you have a series that includes rape, if if the woman is raped and and has like genuine, you know, struggles with the aftermath of it, you know, I, I that's that's something more worth exploring and reading. Now, I also think that we're reaching a point now where rape as a uh, a plot device is super overdone, and I think people need to start using uh, other other things. You know, that's uh, just people a can shock do other things than too. just rape people. You know, um, and and that's one of the reasons that I appreciate the Black Company. This the series doesn't have a whole ton of like rape in it for how how much like rape is referenced you know like uh we never it's see no a graphic rape oh my gosh sort of truth oh but but no in the black company we never see graphic rape the closest we get is the scene in the black company when croker and raven find um zuad's men uh, ransacking the village, and we find out that Darling is being raped. That was in right. wasn't that Shadows Linger. No, it was the Black, Black Company. Company. It's oh, in Chapter wow. Two of the Black Company. Okay. Um. Uh. But, but the rape isn't described in detail. The whole scene is over with in like half a page, and the main impact of that experience is on Darling, and she's a major character who grows and has to deal with the trauma of her youth, right? Like, it's it's not just there for, like, oh, some some sickos are going to read this book and, and kind of be a little turned on by it and get entertained by it, and other people are going to be like, oh, horrified, oh my gosh, this is going to leave a, a, a big scar on me, and, that's, and, and, and so it's going to be memorable. Authors do that. So many authors do that purely for the, the shock value. Glenn Cook never did it for the shock value. And and that's why I, I think as the grandfather of Grimdark, Glenn Cook has his rightful place. But it's also kind of a bummer that his grandchildren went in some directions they did. Makes sense. For sure. 
Yeah. I know I just ranted for for like five <laughs> no, minutes, no. but I have you, you I have thoughts on Grimdark. I forget what the original question was. Well, it was it was. <laughs> do, do you think um, you know Glenn Cook's place as the grandfather of Grimdark is justified? Yeah, I and and, and also how influential do you think the Black Company has been to fantasy books? And I, oh, I, I man, don't I, think that's arguable. What we've seen so no. far. I mean, the dedications to Harriet McDougal for one. The like you can you you can see that. Mark, uh, Jesus Christ, I was going to say Mark Geller, um, that Glenn Cook was very influential as, a, as I, I like, you, you can't question that with, with everything that Drew's been saying already. You really can't question that. I mean, the ripples are out of remove because it's 30 years later, but Game of Thrones was an international phenomenon based on a series of books that would not have existed had Glenn Cook not written the books he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also worth noting that Glenn Cook can finish a series. <laughs> he can. Yeah. I can. mean, we have to... He, yeah. he has that ability. So, so, I also wanted to raise drinks in the same way that we did at the end of mm. the Wheel of Time for those that I was passed. wondering if this was going to happen. Yeah. For those that passed in this book, I'll begin with Will Swan... I'd like to raise a drink to Willis Swan. Rest in peace, my man. <laughs> May he rest in peace. Ah, run must in Don't Iqbal. have enough wine for this. Run must in <laughs> Just Iqbal. take tiny sips. Tiny sips. Run must in Iqbal Singh. Yeah, run must in Iqbal Singh. Rest in peace, boys. Singh, the smith of the of Taglio. Yeah, of, mm. of Taglios. <laughs> uh, Blade, Cleftus. Ah, uh, Cleftus. Listen, Loftus and Cletus. <laughs> yes. A big one goes out to Uncle Doge. Uncle Doge. Oh, that, that rascal. That, that guy. What a guy. I just, I, oh, my goodness. What a boss. Oh, this is uh, delicious. This is remarkably easy to do this with. Far more than last time. Better than, than straight whiskey? <laughs> yeah, I think last time it would have been uh, for the real time. A memory of light. Yeah. Mark, I was doing that with just straight. This is, uh, this is just a beer. Um, Mergen. And Sarah again. Uh, presumably, Sarah drinking their memory. Uh, Safe assumption. And yes, even you, Mogava. You don't have to Mogaba. raise a drink to him if you don't like him. In fact, I don't like him. But I'm going to raise a drink to him, <laughs> Mogava. If uh, we have one final one, sorry. To sleepy. sleepy. Oh goodness. Sorry. Yeah, I just I saw it there and I just I skipped right over it. I'm, I apologize. No. And of course, who could forget the penultimate power couple of the Black Company, One Eye and Mother Goda? <laughs> yeah. Oh, One Eye. I didn't even write down One Eye. How could I? Fuck yeah, I wasn't that up? even thinking about the first half of this book. Yeah. Mm. Like all of my uh, favorite scenes coming up, those are all in the the second half of the book. I didn't even consider the first half of the book. I fucked up again. Ooh, and we don't have, have enough booze to consider the series as a whole, so... <laughs> no. Like and an weird. hour later. Yeah, really. Yeah. All right. Um, I, uh, I, uh, shall we head into three favorite scenes? Yeah. Let's do it. I'm ready for it. Okay. I'm so, a little, uh, buttered. Let's do this. Let's, you know, do the rounds. We each do our, our third favorite, and then second, and then first. Uh, who wants to lead off? I'll go ahead. I'll do it. Oh, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Um, All right, Pat. <laughs> this is what I mentioned in the previous episode. Uh, Mogaba getting wrecked by a 
giant black shadow duck. Yes. <laughs> <It was> awesome. <laughs> like, is it the duck part that really brings it home for you? It yes. did. It did. Like, that tickled my funny bone. <laughs> like, and the fact right. that he just sighed when he saw it, he just went, He's like, Ugh. all right, this of is Of course it. it's a giant duck, like... <laughs> like a squeaky bath toy, but mur of murder. Sweet, sweet. Then I humbly request going next because my favorite, my third favorite scene is also this. But it's also one thing that happens directly before this. It's Mogaba telling Soulcatcher what's up. You hold no terror for me anymore, old whore. <laughs> oh, <laughs> seeing him finally tell that bitch exactly what she deserves to hear, and then Gopal Singh just whacks this bird with the oar and it, watching it fall into the, the fetid, muddy river, as it's described. <laughs> Bliss. Yeah. Bliss. <laughs> Funk. Jared? When Goblin finally finishes off Kina with one eye's, what, hat and spear. Yes. I yeah. mean, come on, come on. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. It's so good. Oh, uh, well, my third favorite is chapter 125, mostly the, the beginning part of it. Uh, the chapter is titled Taglios, an afternoon off. And it starts with Croker saying, I took a lady out for a picnic with a little help from my adopted daughters. I, I've already waxed rhapsodic about how much I love the relationship that Croker and Lady have and how much I love the Borash girls and, and how I want more domesticity with that family unit. And and even though Lady is in a coma here, just the the love and support shown all around in this scene always always gets me. Always gets me. Chapter one. Good one. Uh, before we before we uh, go on though, I have one honorable mention I want to bring up. Okay, and it's just it's just a, a a particular line when Aridatha and Mogaba and Gopal Singh are talking about you know their plans, and Mogaba is like you know the news from the south is uniformly disastrous. The Black Company is meeting very little resistance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he says. So it seems our fates actually depend on how fast those people can get here. The protector won't stop them. They'll pluck the strings of her ego, tickle her pride, and just when she thinks she's ready to make her kill, they'll hit her in the back of the head with a sledgehammer she'll never see coming. You have to be more than just powerful to deal with those people. You have to be more than clever and treacherous. You need to be psychic. <laughs> I love that line. I just, I, I love Mogabo like working through this realization of, of like, we're so screwed. <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, Pat, your second. Um, I couldn't think of any particular scene to, uh, I mean, it basically goes on what your third favorite scene was, Drew. I was trying to think of a scene that adequately expressed the Shukrat Arcana croaker lady mm. thing I, I i just couldn't uh so i'm gonna cop out for my second and just say all of it all the stuff okay fair enough sure and... sure fair enough uh my second favorite was croaker struggling to save lady from the rumel around her throat 
held by their estranged Ooh. daughter. I mean, it's not a particularly pleasant scene to read, obviously. My my heart just kind of broke for Croker here. Like This was the second time in the series... Uh, sorry, the second time that I thought the series was about to finish when I was getting near the end with the audiobook. It would have been this perfectly bittersweet ending that I had expected from what we had so far. Save Lady and finally kill Boo Boo. And... I, I couldn't decide here at first whether I wanted to bring up this scene or the one immediately before with Lady crying and saying, I love you, and, and then lamenting the mm -hmm. fact that she never got to be a mother and holding up that dagger and trying to, to end it. But this is the one that, that, that made my second favorite. It was just, it was so genuinely human and heartfelt and just ripping. Of yeah. It was, it, yeah. Was, it was some powerful writing, I thought. So my that's my second favorite scene. For my for my second favorite, can I cheat and double up? I'm doubling sure, up sure. on two characters finally getting what they freaking deserve with Narayan Singh and Lisa Bulwark, both <laughs> oh, nice. getting what they freaking oh, nice. deserve. Yeah. Solid. It was pretty Solid. cold though with like Lisa Bulwark like like transforming at the end and she was finally mostly human and she was looking at croaker and he could i don't see care she was just pleading nope. with her eyes and croaker <laughs> is just cold as death he's like no nope. croaker yeah, was every a... time croaker thinks about her he's just like we should have killed her back in june <laughs> yeah i mean heck like the beginning of the book like he is going on and on about after one eye dies like he is going to get his damn revenge yep Yep. Yeah. Okay, well, my second favorite scene, <clears throat> speaking of the beginning of the book, after One Eye is killed, it's in chapter 18. <clears throat> uh, Croker and Mergen drinking the last jars of One Eye's liquor. Uh, ooh. <sighs> oh, I forgot about this. This moment of just brotherhood. Toasting One Eye's memory talking about their situation and and I, I love the way it's written where, where even when they're not talking explicitly about the brotherhood of the company you know it's on their mind because randomly in the middle of their their discussion to one eye they'll raise their, their glasses to one eye Freaking love it. Yeah. So. Not a dry eye in the house. All right. Pat, your favorite scene. Uh, I am going to abdicate this one to Drew because he and I speak with one voice on this. And I know okay. he has a lot to say about it, so I'll, I'll let him do the honors. Okay. Okay. All, all right. right. All right. So my favorite. <laughs> my favorite of all the scenes in this book is chapter 131, Croker, and his fatherly advice to Shukrat and Arcana about Tobo. Ah, oh, yes. This is the one and only time, honestly, in the entire series that we get to see Croker get to be a father. It's unconventional, but somehow it's all the the more like heartwarming for it. It's just, ah. Oh. It is a wonderful scene. Chef's kiss. I, I love this scene. I love it. Man, I could do a top 10 
for this book. Yeah. Like, it's, there's so many. Yep. All right, Jared. So Drew took my number one. (laughs) Oh, really? Was it Bergen and one Yes. Or Bergen and Kroger? Oh. Okay. Well, my favorite. So I'm going to, I'm going to preface this with, with a, a note on Glenn Cook. He has always been great at titles. I've chatted about this in, in, on past episodes, you know, the, the book titles, Dreams of Steel, She is the Darkness, you know, great stuff. Especially you go back to his Dread Empire series, amazing book titles. But when he chooses to title his chapters, he also occasionally has a wonderful flair for it. And for some reason, this chapter title just crushes me because of my love for Arcana and Shukrat and the implication in this chapter that this is a chapter they picked because they're writing it. It's chapter 148. And the Daughters of Time. I, I I love the implication that Croker is now like the father of time. Because mm. they're his daughters. They're his spiritual daughters. And Croker is now like the spiritual father of time. But the whole the whole chapter is incredible. I I love just this like I said earlier, the the, the bittersweet tone to everything but of course I have to read it incessant wind sweeps the plate it murmurs on across grey stone carrying dust from far climbs to nibble eternally at the memorial pillars there are a few shadows out there still but they are the weak and the timid and the hopelessly lost it is immortality of a sort Memory is immortality of a sort. In the night, when the wind dies and silence rules the place of glittering stone, I remember. And they all live again. Soldiers live. And wonder why. I'm not crying, you're crying. Cheers. I am crying, thank you. This is, for my money, the finest written ending page of any series ever. The the thematic full circle, the repeated motif that he established five books ago with Incessant Wind Sweeps the Plain, the way he weaves in multiple of these slogans from books ago it is immortality of a sort soldiers live and all wrapped up in the powerfully emotional ending of croaker like i i cannot i'm serious i cannot read these lines without tearing up mm-hmm. It's just freaking beautiful. <clears throat> so, his poetic talent 
was unexpected to me, but it's undeniably great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've gone on record before saying there were there are certain lyrical parts of his writing that I just wish I could see an entire book written in in that voice. It's it he really really has something when he chooses to employ it. I I cannot deny that. So and, say we and this all. is why this is why I've been I've been talking for so long <laughs> about how much I love the end of the Black Company. Yeah. It it just it freaking crushes me. It crushes me. Like In the night when the wind dies and silence rules the place of glittering stone, I remember. And they all live again. Every time I read that, One-Eye, Goblin, Elmo, Mergen, the captain, the the lieutenant. Yes. Just two sentences encompasses the entire series. It's so... Oh. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I'm wiping my eyes right yeah. now. Like, I love The Wheel of Time. I love The Wheel of Time. And I think the final page of The Wheel of Time is incredible. But it's not this. Mm. Nope. Well, I'll say with this ending, for me personally... It, it 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 fell just a bit flat, though it's nothing to do with Glenn Cook as a writer. It's about my own expectation. I've gone on at length about this before during our style discussion over the course of the series as a whole. A lot of my expectations were a result of what I, Rob Santos, grew up reading. I grew up with Harry Potter, The Wheel of Time, and then straight into Brandon Sanderson with some disappointing finish to The Sword of Truth as well. But those were those were my big ones. <laughs> J.K. Rowling, Robert Jordan, Brandon Sanderson. I was used to spectacle. I was used to mystery and revelation. I went into this book expecting that Kina, the, the, the goddess of darkness, was going to break free. I expected that the Black Company would unite the armies of the world against her somehow. And perhaps after Water Sleeps, the armies of other worlds, under the, the banner of the Black Company, daringly going against their conception and deciding that they're willing to pay the price for the sins of their company descendants. Uh, okay. I thought, like, the, this makes more sense. Like, I think you just explained it a lot, uh, a lot better, for me at least. Than you than you did at the beginning of the episode. I sure, think I understand like, your your thought process on this. Right, more like now. I thought, Lady and Soulcatcher were going to eventually end up fighting back to back against the Dark Goddess or, or or her armies. I was waiting for the revelation that the Neff were like the fallen brethren of the Black Company, ready to stand <laughs> alongside them against the armies of darkness that Kina was going to bring. I thought the Black Company as a whole, as I said earlier, would die to the last man. And take Kina with them somehow and leave nothing behind but the memory of that sacrifice that they made. I was expecting so many things that never happened, but that is an issue with me in hindsight. It's it's not an issue with the series at all. I've allowed my expectation as a reader to be shaped by what I grew up reading. And then I was disappointed when I got this ending instead. I, I gotta say, what you just said 
that is exactly what would have happened had Brandon Sanderson written The Black Company. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and there's there's a lot to be said about the aesthetic, about Glenn Cook writing this series for the purpose that he did. You know, the fantasy from the point of view of our frontline soldiers. Right? Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's, it's a brotherhood. The misery, the bonding, the sacrifice. I have to say, the series itself, I can't quite say that I fell in love with it. But that doesn't mean it's a bad ending. It was honestly a lesson that I'm thankful for from both Drew McCaffrey and from Glenn <laughs> Cook himself. Expectation. It's it's brilliant when it's fulfilled, but it's a double-edged blade. When I, as a reader, impose my own expectations upon what another author has planned for his series, I really, in the end, kind of only have myself to blame if I don't like it. And so, as a series, I can say... There were a hundred times I laughed, a hundred times I groaned, but a thousand reasons to reread. You know, I, I, I really did like it overall. I'm, I'm really, really glad. Uh, I, I know, you know, for Rob, it was a struggle uh, through certain books in this. Sure. And Jared, you know, I, this goes back even further with Jared. I've been trying to get Jared to read The Black Company for a decade. It's... I've been. I was trying to get through the first fifty pages of Black Company for nine or ten years for sure. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I yeah, I caved in and and tried for the first time seven years ago, (laughs) something like that. Mm -hmm. I got like like eight chapters in and stopped. I'm glad. I my main reaction is I'm glad that I stuck with it. And I think especially in the latter half of the series, his writing gets a lot stronger. Yes. Yeah. I, I think there's a pretty noticeable, especially when you read more widely among Glenn Cook, there's like a noticeable kind of demarcation where he gets comfortable with his style and suddenly all of his books across all of his series and standalones are just better written. It is funny, though, I would point out that Shadows of Linger is still my favorite. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I, 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 I don't know why, because I, I think that, like, about to ask, Drew. I think that the writing is better in some later books, but it remains my favorite. Dude, Shadows of Linger is freaking awesome. Yeah. So Soldiers Live is my favorite in the series. Shadows of Linger is my second favorite. It's just intriguing, maybe? I don't know. Mm. <clears throat> See, as, as a whole book, I'm torn between Shadows... Oh, sorry, Shadows Linger. Pardon me. Soldiers Live and She is the Darkness. But yeah. there's that moment at the end of Water Sleeps, that last... that yes. those, those last chapters with Goblin that are just... Nothing in this book or any of the other books previously really hit me that hard as the end of Water Sleeps with Goblin in the chamber with Kina. And I, I just... Uh, and and she, like my favorite moment in the entire series was that one, but as a book as a whole, I think it's going to be She Is the Darkness or Soldiers Live. They're all in the latter See, half. That doesn't surprise me because I think She Is the Darkness is uh, the most traditionally epic fantasy of the books yeah. in the series. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, it has the fireworks and and pre-ordained twists and foreshadowing, you know, that you'd expect from a Brandon Sanderson, you know, like the, the blade double cross or, you know, 
Coker uh, and Blade hugging and laughing and just jumping up and down. So good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. My biggest takeaway, so, I'd say, is how I'm impressed at his ability to use different voices with his different narrators. Consistently, yeah. Mm-hmm. Consistently, yeah. Now you not that turns to Croker. Not that I enjoy True. them all, <clears throat> Mergen, but absolutely the same. Yep. Drew, you ready to get surprised? Ooh, okay. Black Company, The Silver Spike, Bleak Seasons. Those are your Those three are favorites. Top. Yeah. Silver Spike. What first Ugh. book is what? your favorite? Hold on. Yeah. Wow. Justify this. Let's hear it. I was not. Wait. What? What did? What were you asking, Rob? Justify that. What? What? Like? Why oh, justify it. Oh gosh. Well. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. The Black Company has the the most entertaining militaristic writing in the series. Like, I, f I get the battles that I like, I get the tactical and strategic overviews that I want, you know, it's not necessarily down and dirty, which is fine, like, in the in the mix, in the melee. I don't care about that so much. I liked, for the first time, really reading something like that, that's it, the in-depth overview. That was really cool for me. And there was a lot of mystery and so much potential that was going on at the, at the fresh opening of a series. So that's why I like the Black Company. Okay, I like the okay. Silver... see that. Uh, I liked the Silver Spike because it was different. Yeah, it was a it was a completely di a step in a different direction. It was only it was a tangential tangential step, but still, I didn't mind the digression as much. I loved seeing the limper finally go down. Yes. Um, Shed had a good redemptive arc in that book that I also really liked. Um, I don't know. Sort I of? Sort of. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you mean in Shadows Linger? No, I, I, I'm i sorry. Not not Shed. Um, Smeds. Smeds. <laughs> Shed Smeds. Yeah, sort of. Same, sort of. same douchebag, different city. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, not same douchebag. I, I'll always back on that. I think um, I think Marin Shed is ultimately a much better person than Smed Stahl. Well, that's that's a mood quest. That's a mood point for sure. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, Bleak Seasons was my favorite because when I read it for the first time, I was in a rather dark place in my life, and oh. the way that book was written, like Mergen's, just bleakness mm -hmm. like really it really struck a chord with me yeah, and i've never really yeah it really resonated i've never been able to quite shake uh, the 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 feeling that that book gives me i just uh, it's just the style is so confusing at points in that like you really have it, to it pay is. attention of of all the books in the series bleak seasons benefits the most from a reread yeah, especially yeah, I can see know, that the the later context. Yeah, I can see that now that you know Mergen was not only being manipulated by Soulcatcher, but also by Kina. 
and by Chevette. Chevette, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and when you put it like that, you really each of them had different. I don't know. Um, so I, I, since since Pat expanded a little bit about this, I have already recorded my ranking of all ten books in the like the main sequence of the series. I'm not asking you guys to do all ten, but I go: Soldiers Live, Shadows Linger, Dreams of Steel, Bleak Seasons, Water Sleeps, The Silver Spike, She Is the Darkness. The White Rose, the Black Company. Hmm. Wow. I might have had White Rose down, a little higher. I, l- I would have had White Rose. Same. Yeah. same. Hmm. yeah, when you get down to the end, though, it's like, you gotta put something there. Yeah, it, yeah. it is... It, it yeah. is rough. I mean, like, this isn't like ranking the Wheel of Time, for instance, where it's like, yes, Crossroads of Twilight is the worst <laughs> book in the series. Um, <laughs> uh, I love all of these books. Um, yeah. I, some of them have more flaws than others, and some of them, my particular tastes, don't align quite as much. Um, it, but But in general, like, at worst... I give like like the worst book in the series for me. I give like a three point five out of five. It's a good book, you know. Uh, there, there's just um, at a certain point if you're going to rank them, well, you got to rank them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the I'm intrigued to do a reread in a couple of years. Yeah. Knowing what I know now. Well, so that's uh, that's what I was really hoping to hear. Uh, I was going to ask you guys at the end of the episode if you felt the compulsion to ever reread this series. Oh but, yeah, you know, no, I'd I, say I think yes. I've made yeah. that clear throughout this episode. I'm going to be re- yeah. like rereading this in the future for sure. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Because I was worried. I mean, at certain points, I was really worried. Like, <laughs> I can't blame you. <laughs> can't. Uh, for, it's just but, like, it's just, I know the style now. Yeah. I know how to read yeah. it. I can it, uh, contextually place it where I need to mm-hmm. enjoy it. Yeah. Well, and I know the answer from Pat, since Pat's already uh, reread it several times. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sweet. Are we about a... ready to go into the final draft, gentlemen? Yeah. Any closing thoughts? Um, sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm good to go. Yep. Let's All do right. it. Do you want to lead us off? I know you were very excited to show off yes. what uh, what you were drinking earlier. <laughs> so I was. I was drinking red wine uh, this time around. Oh um, yeah. It's a uh, Chianti. Uh, um, I don't know what year it is. Is All right, nice... Hannibal. Pat's going uh, full mogaba. Yes, there were there were fava beans and liver that I had with it as well. <laughs> if I'm sloppy on the editing, you might hear me eating it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I liked this wine because it's from Livingston Cellars. Yes, of course. Ooh. <laughs> I am required to approve of this. Yes. Wow. It was. This sounds like something uh, I need to approve without knowing. I would recommend it to any listeners who enjoy uh, a nice dry wine, as I do. I, I can't stand sweet wines. Mm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no regrets. No regrets. Good call. <laughs> sweet. 
Um, who, who knew that Jared was secretly a, uh, a vintner? Uh, the secret's <laughs> out now. Cats out of the bag. If only I all knew where all the paychecks were going. <laughs> I Deanna, am drinking. Deanna's been eating oats and <laughs> for the last year. Like... <laughs> sorry, it's just cracking me up. Rob's tried to like start going sorry. like three times. Oh, I just started a few seconds ago. Boys, I'm drinking another one. Actually, I brought this on the last episode, so Drew and, and Pat have already heard it. Jared, you're hearing this for the first time. This is one from Kingsville. Uh, which is the town right next to me, and then their uh, Kingsville Canadian Beer, their brewery. This is a half of Eisen, and it's just glorious. I had I enjoyed it so much last week that I had to bring it on this week, especially because I knew I was going to plan out this and bring up this drinking segment where where we had our shared drink over every uh, notable death. This, of course, as a as a half of Eisen, is just so filled with bananas and cloves, and it's so delicious and bready that I just like. I don't know. It's 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 going to be like my exclusive beer probably for the next few weeks. Not for the podcast, but just for casual drinking. I'm going to drink myself sick of this one, probably. <laughs> it's always nice to find a, a good beer, especially when it's local. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, so good. It's it's crafted in the in the town that I actually work in, so. Yeah. Very nice. Jared, what are you drinking? So mine is Oktoberfest from Hus Brewing Company. So Hus Brewing was Yeah, you did their coffee the Kolsch, coffee Kolsch that I was gushing oh, about. I remember hearing about this. One of the black uh, black company episodes. It's pretty good. Very nice. So they're are are they just like a German style? Uh, brewery is that their thing I don't, I don't know if that's their thing specifically i haven't looked up their others i think these two are the only ones i've had that i can remember so either huss only makes german styles or jared gravitates to german styles <laughs> I, I think i probably do <laughs> without being an expert there are worse styles to gravitate toward <laughs> nice all right well i brought on two beers because how could I not nice. for this nice. this episode that I have been waiting for, <laughs> for so long? I started with a mixed culture sour ale from True Brewing Company. As regular listeners will know, True does great beers and has great names. And this one is no different. It is a mixed culture sour ale with cinnamon dry hopped with Tetnong and Hallertau Blanc. Two, okay. uh, two strains of I think I've heard hops. some of those words before. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is delightful. <laughs> this beer is freaking good. Uh, it's got a really nice dry finish, but an extremely citrusy sour profile um, between the dry hopping and and the you know the the mixed culture fermentation just whew, it's five point two percent I could drink like four of these like it's mm. so drinkable but this beer goes out to Mogaba it is called Sin After Sin oh uh, nice well you know you know what happens when very you nice. sin don't you my brother. Unforgiven. Yeah. When you sin, you my... get eaten by a giant black duck. 
You shall lie in ashes <laughs> eating only dust for 10,000 years, I believe is what they said. Yes. Oh, right. <laughs> That's a good thing to put From on a bottle. From a giant water duck. Yes. But I, of course, I have another beer. This one is much darker. This is from River North Brewing Company. It is part of their Vicennial series. So River North does these um, crazy barrel-aged beers. They have a, a decennial and vicennial uh, that they alternate. And these these are beers designed to be aged like up to like 10 years. And this particular beer is from 2017. Um, it is a barrel-aged old ale. And it is described as a barrel-aged old ale for the ages. Mm. And this one, see, 16%. Oh my god. Oof, just brown sugar, cinnamon, bourbon. Death. Thick, delicious... And it is for Croker. It is called Father Time. Oh, f- God. <laughs> not all that bullshit right now. No, no, no. Bring it up. Verified. Drew, you f***ing subliminal f***. It's not even subliminal. The freaking chapter's called And the Daughters of Time. Okay. All right, all right, all right. That's fair. I want to know yeah, how so far in advance Drew yeah. got... Picked these out. Genius. You know, and I have to say, I almost brought out a third one. Uh, uh, a, a beer from Listerman Brewing Company. I still have it in my fridge. Gotta drink it soon. Uh, but it is called Satisfied? With a question mark? So I was gonna bring that for uh, Jared and Rob. <laughs> yeah. So, That'd be good, uh, too. So, yeah. This, man, this has been a long time coming. It's been... Boy, it's January. We started the Black Company in May. Oh, God. I wouldn't even hazard so, to guess. I mean, we took a break in there with other stuff. Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time on Brandon Sanderson. But we are we are finally through Soldiers Live. And I have enjoyed the hell out of it. I hope you guys have. Mm. I found a lot to be learned in there. A lot to study. I did like it, yeah. Yeah. I've enjoyed but, the Storm Guard out of it. as we have come to the end of the black company at least for now we'll we'll see if we do port of shadows in the future um next week we are going to be going right on into a more modern science fiction trilogy the illuminae files by amy kaufman and jay kristoff i'm so excited Uh, Definitely stay tuned for those, because not only are we doing something a little newer, but we're going to have a very special guest, the last member of the Inking Out Loud team, who has not been on an episode yet, Danielle, our artist. And, yes. And, and we're, we're going to have a fun time with this, and I can't wait to see the art she, she comes up with. You know, for for each of these episodes, for episodes that she's been on, it's just going to be off the hook. I'm so stoked! <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it's going to be outrageous. She's so talented, um, and so yeah. If if you want to get access to that episode early to the first book, Illuminae, uh, check us out on Patreon. That's Patreon.com/slash/InkingOutLoud. Not only can you get early access to us there, but we have tons of bonus content. Uh, if you listen to our 
uh, 100th episode celebration bonus episode. You know, Rob and I did live readings of our fiction. We also do monthly posts of our own original fiction there. We have bonus episodes. We have a monthly newsletter. You can recommend, uh, you know, books for us to read or ask us for curated reading lists for yourself. Tons of fun stuff. So check us out there. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey. And with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yep. Yep. And our special guest, what was it? Guardian of the Plane of Glittering Stone? Yes. Guardian of the Glittering Plane is how I... Oh, Guardian of the Glittering Plane. Okay. Uh, he's gotten a promotion since he was our quality assurance manager a couple yes. of episodes ago. I mean, yes. I think I was a peasant uh, at some point. 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 I don't know. Yeah. He so was a peon. Is... So, yeah. Peon. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he did. He got demoted all the way down. <laughs> he's been everywhere. And then he was also a uh, super galactic emperor at one point, too, in the Sorcerer oh. Supreme. I, I, I'm drawing myself into a corner here. I've been through I'm a lot, just... you know? Yeah, don't even don't even worry. Just do whatever, Jared. You know, Jared deserves it. Whatever you do, Jared deserves. I it. I want to get As your most creative. <laughs> but yeah, do your so, worst. So, Jared Livingston, thank you again for coming on, Jared. Of course, hell yes. And last but not least, at all, our wonderful sound engineer, Patrick McCaffrey. Pleasure as always. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. This well, you awesome. know. We would one not does, be one's best, 100, yeah. 100 plus episodes in without Pat's monumental efforts. So I yes, shower yeah. my goodness as liberally as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and we are endlessly grateful for it, my dude. I am the uh, counter to Jared's dark influence. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's why we're getting rid of both of them for next week's episode. Uh, <laughs> Too much of a good thing. Yeah. But no, no. Uh, so I think that brings us to a wrap for Soldiers Live Part Two. That's been a journey. Six. Yeah, we'll always remember it. Memory is immortality of a sort. Thanks for listening, Soldiers Live, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone. Be good, y'all. <laughs>